Let's, uh, let's bow before the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you for this day. Thank you that you bring us together in fellowship and in worship. We thank you that we can sit at your feet, Lord God. We pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us, stir in our hearts, Lord God, that our ears and our mind, our hearts would be open to your word. That we would give you this time. Just like we do on our favorite show, favorite song, favorite movie. We, we put all our focus in that moment. And Lord, I pray that we would do that today. We'd give you our focus, our attention, our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, there are four groups of people in this room. Four groups of people in this room. You could go ahead. Go ahead. You can look around. Look around if you'd like. Four groups of people in this room. Some of you are a little shy to look around. I can see that. You're a little paranoid. You're like, hmm, how do I do this without looking judgmental? All right? But there's four groups of people in this room. You guys are so good to each other. You didn't even want to look. But I bet you, you're kind of thinking right now, you know who's all behind you sitting around. You're like, hmm, how do I categorize these four types or four groups of people? Uh, The four groups has nothing to do with physique or physical appearance, so you can relax. Has nothing to do with, um, I don't know, background, cultural background, where you came from. It has nothing to do with that. It's not about uh, income or social economic status. It's not about that. It's not even about personality. It's not a, this is not a psychology test. Or is it? It's not. We're going to talk about this today. Jesus is going to teach us about four groups of people. And throughout this whole time, I want you to kind of be thinking about which one do I most resemble? Do I resemble one of these groups of people? Okay, so you'd be thinking about that during our message. Now, we had a large uh, gap of time between when we, we left off a of mark and then we had the Easter season. We had Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and then we had uh, baptism Sundays and Mother's Day and stuff. And so last week we were able to get back to Mark, and I didn't intend to skip some verses. I looked back, I'm like, I, I just totally skipped verses 7 and 12. So I didn't intend to do that, and some of you are like, I didn't notice. You know, it's a good thing those verses, uh, like your salvation did not depend on those verses, right? So that's a good thing that, we you know, if we skipped it, your salvation was not at stake. So it's good for you. Good for me, right? I'm, I'm glad that's not the case. But I want us to go back to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. And we're going to read the passage from there. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 7. You can look up at the screen. Um, and we'll pick it up, verse 7. It says this. And Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Udumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude heard of all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the multitude in order that they may not crowd him. Verse 10, For he had healed many, 
with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed about him in order to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits beheld him, they would fall down before him and cry out, saying, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to make him known. Now Mark emphasizes the crowds of people that follow Jesus. We see this very often in Mark. He points out the large number of people who came out to see Jesus. He mentions the multitude three times here, twice referring to it as a great multitude. A large amount of people came to see Jesus. They're coming to hear Jesus teach. They're seeing him heal people miraculously and cast out demons. And I think it's so interesting. I never really thought of this, that Jesus chose along the Sea of Galilee to do much of his ministry. I'm sure this was a very busy area in time. It's a port. There's a, there's a lot of commerce going on. There's a lot of people traveling around. There's a lot of area, vicinity, so people coming and going. And here Jesus is teaching and doing all these things. Can you imagine all the people who gather and they, they go to where they come from, and they share what they encountered, what they had heard. Another theme that Mark emphasizes is Jesus' authority and power over the demonic. He has authority and power over the demons. The demons fall down before Jesus. The demons know who Jesus is. Mark makes that point clear. And we see that Jesus had authority to cast them out, to silence them. And this makes the judgment of the unbelieving, the people who did not believe in Jesus, that much more condemning, especially for the religious leaders of the day. We saw last week, right? The hardness of their hearts was so much that they knew, they recognized what Jesus was doing was miraculous. It was supernatural. Yet their hardness of heart was such that they could not get themselves to confess that Jesus was doing this in the power of God. He must have been doing it by the power of the demonic. It was evil. That's how hard hearts, how hard their hearts were. It got to the point where they could not say that what Jesus was doing was of God. It had to be demonic. So that's the passage in verses 7 through 12. It sets a good stage of the passage we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, flip a page maybe. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he began to teach, again, Jesus, by the sea. And such a very great multitude gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying, saying to them in his teaching. Now, so we see Jesus' wisdom here in, in chapter 3, right? He told the disciples, prepare a boat for me because I'm getting crowds of people. I need some space. So get a boat so I can sit upon the boat and teach out to the crowd. And his voice will be able to be amplified and be able to hear. And the people will be able to hear him teach. So we see here... Perfect, right? The multitude, the crowds are coming to see Jesus, and he's sitting on the boat teaching the people. Verse 3, and he says to them, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and it came about that as he was sowing some seed, fell beside the road, and the birds came up and ate it. 
And other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And other seeds fell into good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the visuals Jesus was using would not have gotten lost among the the multitudes. In an, an agricultural culture society, they would understand the picture that Jesus is presenting to the people, right? However, they would be left wondering, what is Jesus talking about? Why is he bringing this up? There's got to be more to what he's saying than it's like a farming lesson, a gardening lesson, right? Well, let's look at the parable. Jesus begins with this exclamation, listen, behold. In other words, trying to get their attention. Listen, pay attention. Understand what I'm saying. And he goes on to say, a sower scatters seeds, and there's four different surfaces here, or four different conditions that the seed falls on. The first one is beside a road. So there's a road, and there's a, on the sides of the, road, the, uh, of the path, there's the ground there beside the road. We'll call it the path. The second one is a rocky surface. So the surface has a lot of rocks in it. The third one, there's a lot of thorns where the seed was. And then the fourth one is good soil. So each condition presents different results in the parable. The path, what happens to the path? The seed falls along the path, but onto a surface that's not conducive to farming or gardening, right? If you walk along the path, you don't see a lot of gardening around, obviously. But on top of that, the surface was such that it didn't penetrate the soil or anything, and the birds would come up and ate up the seed. And so the birds come, eats up the seed before it could penetrate the surface, and any growth or any activity happens from the seed. The second surface was a rocky surface. Now, typically, rocky surfaces are not conducive for growth, right? There's inadequate nutrients in the soil because of the presence of the rocks for the plant or the seed to mature and grow. So what happens in this surface? The rocket, the the rockets, not the rockets, the rocks prevent the roots from growing sufficiently. It immediately springs up, but what happens? Because of the soil, it doesn't last. And the sun comes, it scorches the plant, and because the the plant does not have enough nutrients to sustain it, the roots are not firm and secure, the plant withers and dies. The third situation is the thorns. So a seed falls among thorns. And the soil is such that the plant grows, but what happens? It grows among thorns. And the thorns choke up the plant and is not able to produce fruits. Okay? The fourth situation was good soil. Now the seed fell on good soil, and the good soil allowed the seed to do three things. To do three things. After it penetrated the surface, it grows, it increases, 
Right, the tense in that verb is passive so that something happens to it. It increases, something causes it to increase, and then it produces. Now, there's a typo on the screen that I, I made a mistake on. The tense on the word that we see for produces is imperfect, meaning there's a continual action with this word. So it continues to produce crops. So three things that the good soil produces. The seed is plants, it grows, it increases, and it produces fruit. It continues to produce fruit. You know, Jonathan out there uh, brought some lemons. Now, I don't know what kind of soil. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't look into his backyard the one time I came in, but I imagine whatever tree produced this lemon has some good soil or something, and it continued to produce. This is maybe one of the largest lemons I think I've ever seen. I thought this was a grapefruit, you know, but it is a lemon. So there's, they're out there for you to take, I believe, right? So I imagine this produced good fruit, that tree, whatever it is. So the four different surfaces. The seed in the good soil continued to produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. And then at the end of the parable, Jesus says, he declares, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now what does Jesus mean by that? Does that sound obvious? Aren't ears meant to be hearing? What is he saying? Now, there are many who have ears, right? I think we all have ears, and ears are meant to hear, right? People who have ears, they can hear someone, but they're not always hearing to listen, right? You ever been in that situation? You're talking to somebody, and you know audible sounds are coming out of your mouth, and you know that they have ears to hear, and they should hear you what you're saying, but you can tell that by the look or expression on their face, they're hearing, but they're not listening. They may be nodding. Oh, yeah, okay. And you could tell in their eyes, they're not listening, right? They have ears, but not ears to hear. They're not listening. Some of your parents are going to be like, yep, that just happened to me this morning. I told my kids something, and it's like they heard me, but they weren't listening. Parents don't get too comfortable Kids, when I say kids, you know, if your, your parents are here, did that happen to you this morning? You're talking to your parents, and you can swear that they have ears, they're listening, they're nodding their heads, but they're not really listening to you, right? We've all been in that situation. I'm guilty of doing that. But Jesus is calling their attention. He starts off by saying, listen, behold. And at the end, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, let him listen. Pay attention. If you're here to hear and listen, pay attention to this. The four scenarios, if you look at it again, one of the, there's one that provided absolutely no growth, no maturity with the seed in the path. One provided only temporary growth, but it didn't produce any fruit, nothing meaningful. Of the four scenarios, three provided no meaningful production whatsoever of the four only one provided meaningful growth and production in the good soil verse 10 and as soon as he was alone his followers along with the 12 began asking him about the parables now have you ever been in a situation a conversation you're watching a movie with other people or a work setting you're around your co-workers or around your boss and something comes up And you feel you should know and understand the meaning of what someone is saying, but you don't. 
Right? You ever been in that? You watch a movie, you're in a conversation, someone's saying something. You know you should understand this, but you have no idea what's being said. You don't understand it. But you act like you completely understand or know what's being said. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that movie. Yeah, I totally understand. I get it, right? Then afterwards, you feel so badly, you want to just ask somebody, what did that mean? What did they say? Right? I don't know. I think we've all been in that kind of similar situation. I imagine Jesus was teaching and his newly appointed 12 disciples were there among the multitude listening to this parable. And I can imagine these 12 acting like they understand what's going on, what Jesus is saying, right? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Seed, soil. Yes, yeah, soil so important. Good seed, good soil, very important. Thorns, rocks. Yeah, no rocks, no thorns. We don't want any of that. All the while, they're thinking to themselves, what is he saying? What is Jesus talking about? Is he going to make us like make gardens, plant gardens? What is he saying? And I bet they couldn't wait to get Jesus alone. And they did what maybe all of us kind of do when we're too embarrassed to ask the question. Remember, if, if you're in class, the teacher says something, and there's students who are embarrassed to raise their hands and ask for the explanation. So maybe they ask later or when no one else is around. So the disciples... They were around the crowd. They didn't understand it, just like the multitude. And when they were alone with Jesus, they go to Jesus and say, Hey, um, Jesus, you know about that parable. I know we're supposed to understand, but can you just tell us so we can check ourselves? So we understand, if we make sure we understood? Thankfully, Jesus gives an explanation. Verse 11, and he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables in order that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they return and be forgiven. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? And how will you understand all the parables? So the multitude was left with these mysterious parables to try to figure out. But Jesus taught his followers the meaning of the parables. He gave them that insight. Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And we've, we touched on this verse in, in, in previously, how Isaiah is commissioned by God to prophesy to Israel. Israel was an adulterous nation. They were idolaters. They were worshiping other gods. And they were being charged to, to repent and turn from their sin, but they refused. So Isaiah was commissioned to tell them, and say, speak to them. They will hear, but they will not hear. They will not have ears to hear and understand lest they repent and turn. There's a point where people get so far gone down a path of sin that their hearts become dulled to conviction. They even get dulled to shame. They're so used to their sin. They're so used to their life. They're so used to rejecting Christ that they get dulled by it. They're no longer convicted. And there's a point when you can try to tell somebody what they're doing is wrong. But those words only harden their hearts even more. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. Maybe you're in a situation like that. You know what you're doing is wrong. And you've had people tell you, hey, what you're doing isn't right. 
but you're so consumed by that. But every time someone tells you or you're reminded or even God is speaking to you about something, what you're doing is wrong, you get this defense that it hardens your heart even more. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to be convicted. You don't want to feel shame. You don't want to feel guilt. And it hardens your heart more. What a dangerous condition that is. It's dangerous when you get to the point in your heart when you hear something that convicts you, you're just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be convicted of it. I don't want to feel shame. I just want to be left alone. Interestingly, Jesus here, he asks his followers, do you not understand this parable? And how will you understand all the parables? It seems like Jesus is expecting them to understand what he's saying. So here's the explanation of the parable. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who heard the word, and the worries of the world, and deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it, and, bear, and it bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. So here we see the four surfaces represents four conditions, four groups of people. So let's look at Jesus' explanation. The sower, in that immediate context, could be Jesus, but I don't think the sower is limited to just Jesus. I think it could be any messenger of God's word. The seed is word, God's word. In that context, specifically kingdom of God, right? The surfaces are people, And I would like to say the surface of the heart. In all four scenarios, each represents a person who hears the word. So they all hear the word, but the response is different. What happens to the word varies in each of the person's situation or context. In Luke chapter 8, 12, he says, And those beside the road are those who have heard... Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. That's interesting. The person who resembles the path, the hard surface, the, sur- the, the bird comes and takes the word that they may be saved, that they may not be saved. Matthew thirteen nineteen says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. I mentioned last week that Satan is our enemy. He only wants to destroy you and separate you from God. So that's why I like what Matthew points out here. Anyone who hears the word of God and does not understand it, Satan comes and takes the word so that you may not understand you got to understand, when you come to church, when you read your Bible, 
In those moments when you kind of feel so distracted, you're thinking about other things, you're feeling so tired, you're feeling like, oh, I don't know if I want to hear this, or I don't understand this passage, I'm going to close my Bible up and maybe, you know, I won't forget about it. Be careful of those moments because Satan certainly does not want you to spend time in the word to understand and to hear. That's what this parable is showing. So Jesus explains the bird is like Satan who comes and takes the word that you do not understand so that you may not understand and believe in Christ. The rocky surface. It's interesting to note that what happens to the seed with the rocky soil The person hears the word, receives it immediately. But the condition of the surface and the elements, the heat from the sun scorches the word so that it withers and it doesn't produce anything. The rocky surface of the heart doesn't allow the word to mature. No firm roots to nourish the seed. And additionally, the elements of the environment around destroys what cannot sustain. Look what Jesus says the rocky person encounters. There's affliction, persecution. In Luke's account, it says temptation. So ultimately, the person falls away, is made to stumble. Do you see the situation for the rocky person? The rocky person doesn't have roots. The surface of the heart is not ready to receive the word. So somebody who comes in, they immediately hear the word of God. They respond to it joyfully. Hey, that sounds great. I could picture somebody who is going through a lot of problems, hardship. And they hear a message of God's love. God loves you. He cares for you. He made you. He made you best die for you and all those things. And someone responds like, oh, that sounds great. That sounds good to me. That's what I want to have. But there's no change in the person. They're not interested in change. And so when life happens, affliction, a lot of stuff happens, persecution, all those things, they don't want anything to do with it. And the word doesn't produce anything in their life. It withers away. I think we've come across many churches filled with many people that fit this description. That the word of God has no effect in their life, especially when life circumstances comes, pressure comes, and it just withers the word of God out of their life. All these external conditions are common to all of us. The difference is the soil of the heart, the nourishment of the heart. Is our heart at a place where it wants to nourish God's word? When all these situations come. Look what that happens with the thorns. Jesus says the heart is this scenario. Uh, the heart in this scenario has potential for growth. So in the situation with the thorns, the seed grows. The soil is such that it will grow and produce. But what happens? There's thorns in the presence of this plant. And these thorns start to choke the plant so it doesn't produce any fruit. And look what it says it has. The thorns represent cares, worries of the world. The thorns represent the deceitfulness of riches and wealth. The thorns represent remaining desires, these desires and cravings for things that we should not desire and crave for. These are the thorns 
that are in the presence of this person's life that chokes the word of God and it keeps them from producing any fruit in their life. Isn't that what happens? Look at all these thorns, the cares and worries of this world. How much of our lives is so hurt but because we're so worried we're, we're, we're caught up in all the cares, what everybody else cares and worries about, that it chokes it. The deceitfulness of riches, where our pursuit for riches and wealth is so deceitful. See, these thorns in our life chokes the word of God. How many people could say we would spend more time with the Lord, but we want to do other things instead? Right? We would serve God more, but we're worried about sacrificing our time. It's Sunday, after all. It's my only day off. I would give God more, but you know what? I got to invest. I got to save for my future. I got to be able to retire when I'm 60. All these things, we get caught up. We say, we'll do more for God later. God, I will give you more time, but let me get my career started first. Let me get into my college first. Let me have my college years first. Let me have some fun, and then I'll get to you later. See, there's so many different things in our life that chokes the word of God. It keeps us from producing fruit in our life. But look at what the good soil. The seed that fell on the good soil are those who hear the word and their hearts are receptive and is in fertile ground for growth. Luke describes the heart of good soil as these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and it bears fruit with perseverance. I love that description. Look what happens to the person who has a fertile heart. They hear the word, accept it, and it bears fruit. The heart that is good holds to the word of God. I mentioned about our theme about branching out, and I've talked before about getting, being rooted in God's word. Here's why it's important. When you hear the word of God, you want to hold on to it. Cherish it. Have you ever gone something that you, you cherished so much, that meant so much to me that you just held on to it tightly? Right? You held on, you made sure that you would not let it go. I, no, I won't share that. Oh, I'll use the analogy. Why not? I was at Magic Mountain yesterday. You know, you know, have you ever been to Magic Mountain? You, you know the tower of the um, Lex Luthor ride that goes straight up and drops down? You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, there's a ride that goes straight up, and then before you know it, it just drops down. So I showed Michaela a video of when uh, I took my other daughter, uh, Caitlin, and I, I got my phone out. You're not supposed to do this. But I was brave enough, I got my phone out and I recorded us on that ride going up and then dropping down. So I got her reaction of her screaming and stuff like that. And she was like, surprised, you took your phone, you held it out on that ride? I said, yeah. Because I knew this was not going to leave my hand. I am not going to drop my hand. I do not recommend that. Don't do that. Because you could kill somebody if that phone leaves your hand and it falls on somebody. So don't do that. But when you have something that you cherish and hold on to, you hold on to it tightly. You will not let it go. 
So the person who has good soil hears the word of God and says, I'm going to hold on to it tightly, and I do not want to let it go. That person, the word of God produces in that person because he cares for it, and it grows in him, and it produces fruit. I started off in challenging you all, which surface do you most resemble? Thankfully, I don't believe Jesus is describing a condition that has to be permanent. That like, if you fit in this category, that's just who you are. I don't think that's what Jesus is portraying here. If you find yourself, you, just, you seem like, I, I, I probably like that path. When I hear God's word, it's just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to believe it. I don't even remember it. Maybe you feel like I'm kind of like that rocky soil. There's a lot of stuff in there that, you know, I may hear, but you know what? It just kind of withers away. I don't hear much about it anymore. I could hear a message and think that sounds great and walk out those doors in, in a half hour, and it's like as if I heard nothing, and my life looks no different. Maybe you're like the thorn. You want to hear God's word. You like hearing God's word, but when you walk out those doors and in your life, you have all the cares, all the worries, all these pursuits, all these things, and it just stifles God's word in your life. So you look around, you're like, am I doing anything for God? Maybe you are that good soil. That the good soil, God's word is producing something in your life. You can see God working in your life. See, whatever situation you find yourself, doesn't mean you have to be currently in that situation. We all need some heart gardening. I don't know if you're gardeners. I am not. But we all need some gardening, some life gardening. Get some of the rocks and thorns that are stifling growth out of there. We need God to tend to our heart to make it healthy. If there's things that are not as stifling God's word from growing in our life, we need it tended to. We need God to do this. This is a daily maintenance thing, right? So some of us may, like, there may be some rocks and thorns, all this stuff, and God, we need God to just trim some of those things out. Get our hearts ready to receive it, right? Then others, some others may need some more major overhaul. It's not just some gardening. You need to do, get a bulldozer and just recondition that surface. I would say that's those of you who are on a path. You need God to break down that soil, that hardness of heart, to make your heart able to receive his word. There's a cost in neglecting the relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, John 15, 6, Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up or withers, same word, and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. There's a cost to neglecting your relationship with Christ. You have to stay abiding in him. If we want to be able to stand up against affliction and persecution and temptation, we need to be rooted 
in his word. We need to abide in Christ, stay in his word, allow the Holy Spirit to feed us daily. Because if we don't, we may resemble like those rocky, that rocky surface. Something comes up, but then, you know what, life happens and it just is gone. There's no production. You're so worried about things and you're not abiding in Christ, so all those worries just end up coming up and it just builds and builds and it chokes God's word. Let's end with this. Something to beware of. Beware and be aware of the thorns in life that choke our relationship with the Lord. Are you burdened by the cares and worries of the world? Or have you been deceived by the pursuit of riches and wealth? It's deceitful, guys. I'm not saying you can't be. But the pursuit of it is so deceitful because we think that that's going to be the answer to all our problems when it's going to add even more. Remaining desires, these desires, these cravings for what is forbidden, those things are going to distract us from God. Beware of those things. So I'll close with this. I don't know what you, refer, you associate with, I pray that we can all resemble like the good soil. There may be things that come up, some rocks and thorns that come around and just need some pruning. We can be aware of that, but that God, our hearts are conducive for growth. But if you're a rocky soil, if you're one in thorns, or if you're on the path, let God work in your heart because there is a danger, as we saw last week, if you insist to have a hard heart towards God, the grave danger of that is that your hardness of heart would lead to a firm rejection of Christ. And I hate to see that. You don't want to get to that point where you, you put God away, you put God aside, put God aside, put God aside. Before you know it, your heart has gone so hard to the word of God he said, I just don't want to even deal with it. I completely reject it. You don't want to get to that place. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. Lord, I pray your spirit would speak to all of us, Lord. We may not all resemble good soil. There may be some people here, they associate more like the path. Lord, I pray that you take hold of that heart and break down the hardness, Lord. Give them new soil that they may receive your word and your word will produce fruit in their life. If there's anyone here who resembles that rocky surface, there's things in their life that's preventing the word to grow. And when affliction comes and all this stuff around them happens, the word of God is just withers in their hearts. Lord, may those rocks, may those things be removed out of their life, out of their heart. 
And there's people who have thorns in their life and it's really keeping your word from growing and producing fruit in their life. Lord, I pray those things be removed from their life, that they would choose to abide in your word and your truth, that we may all be good soil. Lord, we lift this to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.